Hi, Father Ian Van Heusen here. This is the Art of Living Well podcast, where I just take an opportunity to kind of go a little bit deeper into topics that I deal with on my website, but in this kind of audio format, which gives me an opportunity to kind of flesh things out and to kind of expand upon them a little bit more and kind of have a little bit of a longer conversation. So what I want to kind of get into today is I want to get into the Beatitudes, but I want to give a little bit of context. So um, I was talking with a parishioner tonight. Um, we just did we did a praise and worship holy hour, and the parishioner was talking about an experience that they had had during the holy hour where they just felt a strong sense of the Lord's presence, and they were just kind of moved by the whole encounter. And, you know, I was talking with them a little bit about consolations, things like that. And I will say, I don't know, there's something about it. And the parishioner was a woman, and, you know, I'm kind of a little bit heady and nerdy. So I was just talking a little bit about um, some of the tradition on the thoughts. I was doing it briefly. And I realized for some people that that kind of technical side of the faith, um, even the technical side of describing experience, uh, can be a little bit like jarring or a little bit like, well, it it can lack maybe perhaps the kind of personalism. That's a phrase we hear from St. John Paul II, um, the, the idea of personalism, that personal touch. So what I wanted to kind of do was I was thinking, I was like, you know, there's this rich tradition on um, mystical experience and how how the Lord leads us deeper and deeper into our relationship with Him. But I, I wanted to first take very seriously the call of the Second Vatican Council. So one of the things the Second Vatican Council did in calling all the disciplines of, of theology was to be grounded in Scripture, um, to go back to Scripture. If you study theology before Vatican II, it's very deep, it's very beautiful, it's, there's a lot of richness there. The, the manuals of ascetical and mystical theology, the manuals of moral theology. But the conversation had kind of gotten very distant from a concrete connection with Scripture itself. Um, there was definitely um, of great beauty to a lot of it. I don't want to discount it. Um, but also, I do want to embrace the reforms of Vatican II, which was this idea of going back and being grounded in the sources and being grounded particularly in Scripture when we're doing theology. So in that light, I want to kind of have a little bit of a spontaneous conversation. I haven't written anything out. But what I want to do in this kind of podcast is to go through the Beatitudes and then just take an opportunity to kind of discuss each one. Now, the way I've been thinking about the Beatitudes, a kind of mystical reading, a allegorical or spiritual reading of it, which I think is actually quite warranted by, if you look at the commentaries on it, is I see it almost as a progression, as a ladder. And, you know, one of the things I saw in some of the spiritual writers I love is they do isolate one of the Beatitudes from the rest, and I'll come back to this in a little bit, but they, they, they isolate, blessed are the clean of heart or the pure of heart. A lot of times they say pure of heart in the sources, but the translation I'm using, which is the New American Bible, says clean of heart. But that's kind of in the middle. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the Beatitudes, and then I want to go back through them one by one. So this is Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, verses 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God, of heaven, actually, sorry. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and every kind, utter every kind of evil against you, falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Thus they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what I want to get into is I want us to view this as a ladder, a ladder of divine ascent, to use the word from John Climacus. I want, I want us to view it as a progression, one step after another, and kind of meditate on this, this spiritual reading. Now, I'm not saying that it ha absolutely has to follow this pattern. Um, you may have your own way of reading this passage, but I just want to use that spirit of the fathers and kind of pray with us together and kind of meditate on it together. So the first slide. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, very simply put, we need to be teachable. We need to recognize our need for God, our need for guidance, and our need for others. This is the beginning of the spiritual life, and it's be the beginning of the path of, of Christian perfection. So often, there are many people who may be very smart, may be very intelligent, have a lot of great things going for them in the eyes of the world, but they fail to progress in the spiritual life because of their pride and because of their lack of humility, their, their lack of recognition that they need others. They need community. They need to be accountable. All of that is incredibly important. So that's when, when we think of poor in spirit, we think of the idea of poverty in the Gospels is poverty can be an opening to grace because there's no illusions of self-sufficiency. And that's what we really want to reflect upon is you know, perhaps there are many people who may be poor materially, but they're not poor in spirit because they may be clinging to what they have or they may be clinging to false perceptions. Poor in spirit is a deeper kind of spiritual poverty in the positive sense of recognition of a need for God. So the second one, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So continuing with this ladder, as we recognize our need for God, there comes a certain point when we have a certain dissatisfaction with the world. We recognize that this world is not particularly sufficient. It doesn't ultimately fulfill. And the things of the world no longer hold their allure for us anymore. We recognize that the things of this world are passing. And this leads to a, a certain kind of mourning, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, which is a source of consolation. Um, the, the saints would often talk about tears of contrition. And there's this need to recognize that this fallen world is precisely that. It's fallen. I think one of the great disorders that we have in our own time is this utopian ideal that we can create a perfect society or a perfect civilization. This tempers us to recognize that there will never be a perfect civilization in this world to not look for perfection in the things of the world, but rather to look for the perfection in Jesus Christ. And this also makes us more accepting of others, more willing to recognize that in a fallen world, we can love. We don't love people because they have to be perfect or because they have to live up to our expectations. We love them because we recognize that this is what we are called to do. And we're going to come back to that a little bit more. All of this is grounded in love. It, this is opening us to love God and to love neighbor with complete abandonment, to, for our love to be truly unconditional. So continuing, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. When I, when I think of meekness, I think of gentle strength. I think of 
a gentleness. I, I often assign this as a con, as a penance for people who are who are particularly hard on themselves. I want us to think about that. That the, the way to make progress in the spiritual life is a kind of gentle strength, sticking to the disciplines of the spiritual life, having a firm resolve, but also at the same time a kind of gentle flow. I think about that a lot, and I think about the sense that we inherit the land when we're meek. Those who apply themselves day in and day out with determination, with gentleness, who, who set their hand at the, the task at hand day by day, will eventually discover their meaning. They'll discover meaning in life. They'll discover God's presence. They'll grow in their relationship with Him. It's that grace of perseverance that, that comes from a gentle strength. So we've kind of gone through a few steps and we're kind of ascending this ladder little by little. So we look at these, and these, these beatitudes are also a description of what it means to be a saint. So as we're ascending more and more, these are the, the patterns that must take hold of our lives. So now what I want us to also start to get into is this idea of experience. So these are descriptions or characteristics of a person, but they can also describe our experience. How do we relate to our emotions? How do we relate to our interior life? So that gentle meek, that meekness, that gentle strength, that's also how do we relate with our struggles? How do we relate in our hearts to what's going on, to our experience? Um, and also mourning, that's a, that's a profound experience that we need to have. So we can look at this in multiple levels, a description of who we are, but also a description of our experience. So the next one, is going to, we're going to get into desire. So, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Desire is incredibly important. You know, this person that I was talking with tonight who described their experience of kind of an ecstasy-type, visible, sensible consolation. But I'd be willing to bet that if we looked at the lives of people who have those experiences, is before they have that experience... They have the desire to go deeper. That desire is incredibly important. And that's what I think our Lord is getting at. He describes it as hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's when we have that burning desire for more. That's when the Lord comes in and fulfills our desires. And in fact, that burning desire in and of itself in time we learn is a powerful catalyst to grow. Always wanting the Lord to give us more. Um, I remember hearing a, a friar of the renewal pray in a kind of spontaneous where he said, Lord, I want more. I want more of you. And that's like has to be the continual prayer of our heart. Lord, I want more. So hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the next one is blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. You know, I've been praying about this a lot, this idea of mercy. Um, particularly in my prayer of gratitude when I'm doing my examination of conscience. Um, for me, the experience of mercy is an awareness. Being merciful and receiving mercy is recognizing that we're forgiven so much of our sins, that we fall in so many ways. But our Lord is so incredibly merciful. And, and it's not just simply that He, he d ignores everything and you, know, you don't have to change, you don't have to grow. But it's that reception of mercy, of being forgiven. I don't, I don't know how, if, if you've ever experienced somebody who's very merciful, who's been very forgiving with you, or when you've really made a big mistake, 
and somebody shows you mercy, they still show you love in the midst of that. And of course, they want you to do better, but it's precisely in receiving mercy that paradoxically we're over to overcome things, that we're able to grow. It's like our first step, instead of trying to actively fight against everything, is to first receive mercy, to rest in that, that, that we're forgiven. We're forgiven through confession. And, and as we're forgiven so much, so we are called to, to, to give others as much. Now, I want to get into this next one. This next one is incredibly profound. John Cashin, uh, early monastic writer who would have a huge influence on monasticism. And a lot of monastic writers would focus on this next one very intensely. So it's, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. I like that translation a little bit better. Or In this translation, it's, blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. This is what, going back now, this is kind of where it's come to fruition, where I was talking about that parishioner who had experienced that sensible consolation. There is a sense that we say in a mysterious way that as our affections are ordered, as our heart rests, that we see God dwelling within. It's an experience of God. It's an experience of the divine. Now, we want to be careful. This, this experience is very much God showing himself, God revealing himself. We have to be careful, and this is what I was kind of talking about with the parishioner. It's not necessarily tied to this kind of devotion or that kind of devotion or, or any one circumstance. Sometimes we could have it when we've, we've praying a certain way or we're, we're in a certain kind of setting and we can say, oh, this setting leads me to have this experience. But really, the experience is the gift from God. And we learn that over time, that instead of trying to, say, force an experience by trying to create the right setting for it, our Lord gives us this grace of contemplation at various moments. And the saints would all see that with this, that this is the, one of those examples in Scripture of the idea of contemplation, that when we are pure of heart, when our hearts are rested, when we've overcome mortal sin, we've overcome our attachments to sin, we have a brief moment in which all of that subsides for but a moment, then we see God dwelling within. We see His presence. And the saints have this presence before their attention day in and day out. But this is an interesting thing. St. Thomas Aquinas, he says these last two, blessed are the pure of heart and blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. He says they relate to the contemplative life and that the first few relate to the active life. But here's a little bit of a, a disagreement I'm gonna say between me and St. Thomas Aquinas. Now, forgive me, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas is genius. Uh, on 99.9% .9 of everything, I'm going to say he's correct. But he kind of cuts the Beatitudes off at this last one. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. He says this is really the pinnacle of the Beatitudes. Why, why does he say, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God? This idea of being called a child of God, our adopted sonship, is that as we are purified, as we are conformed unto Christ, as we are set free from sin, through the sacraments and through the gift of God's grace. Our identity as sons in the sun, as, as some modern folks will put it, emerges within our heart. We are called children of God. We are equal with God. Now that's a, a dramatic claim. We are equal with God by grace. What is Christ by nature becomes ours through grace. This quality of being a peacemaker, of this peace overflowing, demonstrates that we are children of God. But this is where I'm going to slightly differ 
and where I would caution all people when it comes to spiritual experiences and it comes to visible consolations, I would read this last beatitude in the light of St. John of the Cross, which is that the culmination of the spiritual life is not actually this kind of heights of, of positive, positive emotion where, you know, children of God, um, pure of heart, seeing contemplation, but actually in our willingness to suffer for the sake of love, which I see in the last beatitude. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our willingness to suffer and extend ourselves. And this is what I'm coming to pray about a lot in my spiritual life, is that as we're renewed by contemplation, as we are renewed by our relationship with the Lord, this empowers us to be willing to suffer for the sake of others. In its most extreme form, it becomes martyrdom, that we are willing to, to let go of all of our comforts. We are willing to let go of everything because the love of Christ impels us to be willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of that love. Um, this is the place of courage. This is the place of that, that deeper reservoir. But interiorly, it also means what I found is, as I've seen in my own spiritual life, and I, I see it as in St. John of the Cross and, and some of his, his theology on this subject, is that we learn more through suffering. Now, of course, we all need pleasure. We all need comfort. We all need good emotions. We all need positive feedback. It's not like we live in this kind of vacuum where we just suffer, suffer, suffer. But in time we learn that our greatest gains are actually made through sharing in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. That's the path of real growth. And so I don't see the Beatitudes as culminated in the the, the, the Beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. But I see precisely in this, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then it says, blessed are you, are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Thus they persecute the prophets who were before you. And now this doesn't mean that we have to like go against the grain and make everybody hate us or things like that. But that positive value of martyrdom and there, there's a certain, the saints have a certain desire to do penance, to do reparation for sin, to, to, to suffer for the sake of others. This is that mysterious work of grace. And that's where I would say that these last two are a real culmination of the spiritual life. Um, and I think in, in our family lives, we have to, like when I look at families, when I look at couples, I think it's an important quality, not in a weird kind of um, self-conscious way, but people are at their best when they're willing to go the extra mile, when they're willing to suffer for the sake of love. So let's look. I've been talking now for 19 minutes. Well, I think this was a good little reflection. So this is kind of the, um, the Beatitudes. I, I do want to say one point in closing before I kind of close out the, the podcast. So St. John Cashin, I, I think he's a saint. I, you know, so I'll be honest with you, with these podcasts and everything, I'm, I'm a parish priest, so I don't always have the time to research like I should. If I was like writing a paper for a, um, a master's thesis or something, or I was doing, I would spend hours kind of researching each one of these topics. Um, I don't know if he's a saint, but John Cashian, that important writer, he talks about the proximate goal of the spiritual life. Now he's writing from that monastic context, 
And he says that our goal should every day be purity of heart, that we should acquire, seek that purity of heart by which we then learn to see God dwelling within. Now, as you can probably maybe start to guess based on my reading of the Beatitudes, that's isolating one of the Beatitudes from the rest. I would say the Beatitudes in their totality should be our goal every day. So some spiritual practice, I would say, based on our conversation today, take the Beatitudes, try to memorize them. Um, one of the things I like to do with the Beatitudes is to take my rosary bead and just meditate, internalize it, try to have it where it's like on the tip of my tongue and just praying with each one, examining my heart, striving to live in accordance with the Beatitudes and kind of internalizing it over and over again. When I've been talking today, that's been the fruit of my study and of my prayer, just over and over again, ruminating on the Beatitudes. So what I kind of look at when in the spiritual life, you know, ruminating on the Ten Commandments, the seven deadly sins, that's important for being upright, um, for that beginning stages of the spiritual life, for for the beginning paths of righteousness. But what we want to strive for is Christian perfection, which is to be Christ-like. And of course, this is somewhat paradoxical. To be Christian, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, to be the true disciple, we have to have contrition and recognize our need for God's mercy. That's where the Beatitudes are that description of Christian perfection. So try to memorize them. Try to chew on them. Get to know them. And consider that as a spiritual practice. Um, maybe after listening to this podcast, maybe for the next few weeks, just kind of work on praying with those daily. Maybe spend five minutes a day just reading them over, examining your heart, trying to understand them. So I hope that works. Um, by the way, please review the podcast, so kind of closing comments, kind of leading out of the podcast. You know, please review this podcast if you, if you like us. Let us, um, let us let your friends know, um, kind of share it around. Uh, let me know. We can, we can always talk, continue the conversation. Feel free to shoot me questions. Um, I always love interacting with people. I'm not always able to write out full uh, uh, responses, but I like to try to integrate them into audio files and kind of things like that and kind of responses. But let's let's continue the conversation. And thank you for being a part of this Art of Living Well podcast. And it's kind of hopefully maybe a little bit of a movement that I'm starting, hopefully you know, a movement of people trying to be saintly, trying to be holy. So thank you for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast, and I hope you've enjoyed our time together. God bless.